Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Kopitiam Council. I'm your host, Adi, and together with me is... I'm Hafiz. And we've seen quite a lot of interesting happenings, uh, events uh, across ASEAN recently. Um, actually, ASEAN is quite a dynamic place. There's always something interesting to talk about. Something's always happening every year. But I think we want to put more emphasis and focus into our neighbours in the Southeast Asian region. You know, Malaysia isn't just Malaysia in a vacuum. Its neighbor, it has made many neighbours, it has relationships, and I think there's a beauty in that lies there. You know, like how do we interact with one another? How do we cooperate with one another? Like Malaysia, Indonesia, coloured history, you know, sometimes sibling rivalries. Uh, Malaysia and the Philippines also, coloured rivalry, coloured history, um, coloured sibling relationship but ASEAN Southeast Asia what do you think uh, Hafiz how would you think of Southeast Asia or ASEAN when it comes into your head basically ASEAN is like a very rebellious teenager that uh, he or she doesn't know his or her directions basically what I'm saying is like this is a very relatively new uh, part of the world like uh, it's only what uh, even though we have uh, empire like Majapahit or Srivijaya that dated back a thousand years ago or less I'm not so sure about that but we have even longer let's say in Egypt or in China so in that sense it's very young and also it's young it's in terms of potential uh, a lot of people say that ASEAN is a dormant uh, area where it has a lot of potential in terms of uh, 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 what do you call this uh, natural resources or its human capital because uh, ASEAN if you if you collectively see uh, in, uh, com- comprising Indonesia uh, Philippines uh, are about like half a, half a billion people here so these are the very actually a lot of population but when it translated to GDP, you don't see that much. You, you, you see, you see Indonesia as the most populous country in the world, but when you look at the GDP, it's rather uh, presented itself as uh, more like a third world country. It's true, but also we can see a lot of interest from Western world to to uh, uh, unhook all this uh, potential that they have. So, yeah, uh, rebellious teenagers. And I guess it's a rebellious teenager somehow in the playground with a rising star, the dragon, the slumbering dragon, which is China. I can remember when the last time I uh, saw uh, rebellious teenagers in playground. <laughs> They're mostly in concerts, but <laughs> yeah, let's go. Ahead. Uh, sorry, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Scratch that. Uh, and a concert. <laughs> okay. concert. We'll call this the concert of Asia then. <laughs> okay. But now we see that... Um, you know, China's on the rise here. And China, you know, has seemed to be fo- a lot of focus and a lot, there's a lot of emphasis on China being a major player in the global world. That translates also to being a major player in the region as well. So I think when we look at China and its interactions with ASEAN and Southeast Asia, what do you think is the relationship here? Again, uh, Malaysia and the re- China and uh, ASEAN is... Uh, if you want to go back, it has over a thousand years uh, relationship. So, but of course, it's a different entity, different dynamic now. Back then, it was empire with uh, two uh, very small vessel states. But now, it's between sovereign countries. And of course, a certain, uh, certain respect has to be demand on, uh, on this ground alone. 
but of course on reality it doesn't uh, it doesn't reflect that uh, uh, in any sense so i think um, the relationship that uh, happening right now it's more uh, i i i would i would say it's more cordial in terms of it's you know it's uh, it's 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 all good now but of course within you know uh, behind closed doors it's bit uh, it's it can be a bit nasty especially china uh, it's so hungry to to expand their power especially in this part of the region they're very immediate neighbors yeah i mean the most logical step is to expand your power projection into your own backyard because you have a lot of maritime features you have the south china sea a hotly contested topic which subsequently has drawn much attention not just from southeast asia but around the world we see now the usa is somehow becoming a counterbalance globally and we've seen other countries within the region especially in asia like australia india japan trying to become a counterweight to the whole the, the meteoric ascent that we call china so going from here i believe that you know southeast asia and the asian community has tried its best in trying to integrate uh, China as a very responsible player. You know, we ha- we all share similar features here. We all share share similar geographic features. Why can't we just play nice? However, I think there is a, s- a problem with this uh, approach. Is that China can just say whatever? Okay, we'll play ball, but behind the scenes, we never know what happens. You know, and somehow military vessels off the coast of uh, Malaysia or. Uh, suddenly a new military base constructed in one of the many islands in the South China Sea. I think, could you attribute this to ASEAN not being united enough or just does it have the influence to make sure China actually acquiesces to say, okay, we'll finally stop all of this because you guys said so? Not being united enough is definitely one of the many reasons. But uh, just to go with that, it's like ASEAN also is very young. It was uh, formed in, I think, sixties or seventies, so it's quite very young, and not all the uh, country in the ASEAN actually in, in uh, organization. So in that sense, it has its own limitation. But also, perhaps, if China being very tactful with their approach, because ASEAN, you, uh, whether you like it or not, is the are the uh, immediate neighbors of China, so there will be. This going to be like um, uh, a dip- not one way of relationship, like you know ASEAN just needing something from China, but of course China also need uh, ASEAN, especially when they want to expand their market outside their own uh, vast uh, 1.4 billion market. Of course, uh, China almost come to the end, end where it becomes an industrialized um, uh, market right now that pr- producing goods because China want to move to be a consumer country and uh, where they look f- uh, to uh, to make a, a whole, uh, what do you call this, uh, factory of the world, maybe they can move to Indonesia, Vietnam, which is just, share, they literally share a border. So you don't really want to piss uh, Vietnamese or Philippines because these are the great source of human capital. And and if China want to, uh, I think, want to look forward and be more forward thinking in terms of its approach in its foreign policy, first thing first, do not piss the ASEAN, even though 
at this point, when we look at merits, you know, none of us can beat China in in any sense, military, economically, uh, financial, uh, whatever. No one, but China has to remember uh, he has a lot of future, and uh, with not just ASEAN, but other foreign uh, powers also lurking behind, just to step, just want, eager to step in when something is very uh, come to their opportunity. I guess you can say it's a balancing act between both uh, the leadership in Beijing and ASEAN countries. However, it's hard to you know, imagine that ASEAN is the, su- the Southeast Asian markets right, are very closely integrated with China's orbit. The gravity of China is just so vast that you cannot really do, you cannot sustain an economic model now without doing some kind of business with China. The businesses, you know, such as imports, exports, uh, we've seen a lot of countries thrive uh, because of uh, the willingness to engage in China's market. So I guess trying to diverse uh, ASEAN from China would be a very catastrophic uh, in terms of um, economic models for ASEAN since we're so closely rooted. It's almost like we're bound together in a way. I guess just, just trying to navigate the, the, the naughty relationships between both the, the even individual countries and China itself. However, instead of um, just keeping this within uh, ASEAN, but um, open it up to Southeast Asia, America has always been uh, one for trying to contain China. We, okay, we've seen um, with uh, President Trump, Donald Trump's uh, approach to China was quite uh, belligerent. In a way. It was very trying to protect American interests at the expense of uh, engaging with the Chinese market, despite um, China also being closely integrated to American markets as well. But now we see um, President Biden performing a containment strategy by reviving um, the Quadrilateral uh, Security uh, Committee, which is an ally- sort of like a security alliance between America, Australia, Indone- uh, India, and Japan, just to make sure that China is stay is contained within its backyard and not being able to project itself enough. But so, why do you think that um, they are so threatened by this? I mean, it's it's almost seen as almost like a Cold War scenario, where they're trying to where the NATO powers were trying to contain uh, the Soviet Union, but that was on ideological grounds. But China, what what's changed here? But before before that, I think it's important that we need to establish uh, the fact here that uh, ASEAN, I think, is the best uh, way to combat China uh, encroachment in within this uh, within this area, because uh, I understand where United States or Biden coming from that's to want to revive the uh, India, Australia, and Japan to safeguard this region. But I think it's uh, uh, they they. They want to rely on this because th- these are very powerful nations as well, like India, Japan, and Australia, very rich country. But also, I think the um, uh, these countries, especially le- uh, led by uh, America, should empower ASEAN countries so that they can defend themselves. Because uh, you, if you want to talk ge- geopolitics, we we are here. We are physically here. So anything, we are the first one that will get the impact of China's wrath. So, uh, Australia is down there. India is on the other, uh, other side of the ocean. Japan, yeah, very close, but they're on their own thing. We are the Southeast Asia where the net nine dash line is, uh, all the contested uh, territories. These, I think, 
uh, as much as they th- they want to rely on the surrounding countries' power to 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 equal China, they also should invest on ASEAN and 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 China right now because they were thinking like, hey, everyone hating us, let's because th- for China this is like a zero sum game, like whether whether they whether they do something or not they can end up being hated or being being uh, demonized by by western powers did uh, did, did did the chinese uh, uh hack the american election maybe they did maybe they don't but some w- say it's the russians some <laughs> say the russians helping helping the russians to do so but is it is it true so you see like even things like that china gonna get the the bad news because you know because this Principally, not in agreement with uh, America, and um, to make it worse, Biden just mentioned the other day to just to poke uh, to China that uh, wants to pro- provide temporary, uh, like a residence to uh, Hong Kong in in America. So these are the things that you know, like you don't even you, you America wasn't even the colonial powers that. Uh, uh, involved in this, it should be Britain that offered that, but you come in here just be in spite of uh, China. So all this unnecessary move just to you know uh, tease uh, Xi Jinping to like, oh, you want to really want to see my power, bro? You really want me to fuck up with the Philippines? You know, the Philippines very good with America, so you can see all this dynamic shifted, and uh, the next thing we know, Taiwan gonna pay uh, the the biggest uh, effect from this because they just. Few hundred, a uh, few few kilometers away. I mean, it's interesting to note that um, it's good that you pointed out that it should be the empowerment of ASEAN countries to resist uh, China. However, I think this, this you know this is not the first time that America has employed this kind of strategy. They've done so uh, in decades prior. However, when you mentioned that Xi Jinping can flex when he needs to, it's already been proven that China has the capacity to do that. Let's look at them um, individually, okay? Japan, very closely related to Chinese markets. Now we've seen Japan expanding a lot of its uh, commercial activities within China, manufacturing. India, also not as much as related, uh, closely tied to uh, China. But however, trade from Asia still makes up um, a significant amount of uh, trade within India, enough that they should, they, maybe it's not wise to risk it. Australia, definitely, um, is very pro-American in this regard, having in, uh, put in place all these kinds of um, protectionist policies, all that. But it's still, much trade still emanates from China. So they can get together as much as they want. But bilaterally, between China and each member, it doesn't translate into action for the community itself, or like the security community as a whole. So in a way, China is still able to you know, push its weight around here and there. Um, and I think at this point, at this current juncture, it's nearly impossible to unseat China's position first militarily because of its, you know, the, the military hardware that's already in place that China has developed has gotten to a point where its projection of power, its missile range system already, is able to intercept anything almost up to the coast of Malaysia. That is very sophisticated technology. And the deeper you go closer to China, the more sophisticated and the more advanced it gets. So militarily speaking, very impossible. Unless, you know, nuclear weapons is somehow part of the equation, but I doubt you can have any moral justification for that. Economically, we've already discussed, all these members already 
of this you know, American alliance are very, very integrated to Chinese markets. So it's very hard to say that, oh, China is really not going anywhere in this regard. But you, Hafiz, mentioned that these countries, empowering ASEAN countries, now we can call this soft power. And soft power could be such as the export of culture you see in, um, from Japan's side. Um, we, we import a lot of the you know, pop culture, anime. anime, all that kind of stuff. India, Bollywood movies, you know, all these Indian movies that are you know, important and you know, popular, especially in Malaysia. Australia, definitely a place for um, employment, gainful employment for Malaysians. Uh, Malaysian elite's backyard. <laughs> <laughs> but we see that um, this is the capacity that they have, uh, the power that they wield. But do you think there's any... You know, con- is, okay, I'm not trying to say that maybe Japan exporting anime to... Malaysia is some kind of uh, you know, clandestine you know, operation to make sure we stay loyal to Japan rather than China. But it's, it's, a, it's an available tactic for them just to gain confidence from Southeast Asia to say, you know, okay, we'll, we're in that camp. We'll try to neutralize China wherever we can just to put it on the stranglehold and keep it contained in its own backyard. I think from here is that is it really wise to keep on poking and prodding given the evidence that we've had so far. Yeah, so you mentioned about soft power, right? So I think it's very important that we establish like there's a, a variety of uh, a form of uh, soft power. So uh, like you said, uh, Japan is with on uh, arts and entertainment. Uh, Korea even have tech, right? Like uh, I think all of us have uh, LG or Samsung uh, TV at home. We have India with the, f- with the spices and the film that they produce. And uh, a lot of things, superpower, uh, soft power, I mean. But here's the thing. China play their soft power in terms of financial position. They are the, front, uh, the, the, the frontier of cryptocurrency, for example. Uh, all, most of the uh, cryptocurrency miners are in China. And j- by just one decree from the king of Xi Jinping... Uh, they ban cryptocurrency miners to a certain extent, and they have to destroy that. So, so, so the whole industry can be at risk by just one person or one country, for example. So, I think China has found a better or more powerful soft power rather than just some Pokemon or uh, 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 biryani rice with papadum on top. These are the super power. The, these are the soft power that um, uh, people in 21st century cannot ignore. Things like fintech, things like uh, 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 social media. Uh, we all know they have their own ecosystem there. They don't even interact with the, Western, the rest of the world. And it's crazy how it can sustain itself over the years. And, and I, I'm not surprised if it's, if it's uh, taking place in other, in other places. So as much as other people or I mean other country can provide uh, an equal power to, to, to China's soft power but also there's no one matching uh, China financial soft power. We can see this in Sri Lanka how China basically owns Sri Lanka now. Uh, China basically like uh, BFF to Indonesia right now. Indonesia depending solely on one brand, Sinovac only for this vaccination program. If you want to call that idiot, I don't know. Uh, what else you want to call it? Uh, and they, of course, 
certain certain uh, like uh, certain countries in ASEAN like Cambodia as well that you know that's, that's Cambodia is a different topic for a different day but you don't want to go into that but what I'm trying to say here uh, soft power of China is uh, something that not even uh, America can match so going back to my argument that all these countries surrounding South Korea, Japan, they need to empower ASEAN so that it becomes like a frontline uh, defense to the rest of the world. And eventually, America will benefit from this. And if America don't see it from now, I think it's a lost opportunity to uh, contain China, in a sense. I think you can only help a country so far. I mean, recently, I've, I've just read this report where I think it was the Japanese, um, some Japanese authority or uh, some kind of um, entity uh, in Malaysia was basically lambasting Malaysia's uh, treatment of the whole COVID pandemic, saying that, you know, the procedures that are in place are lackluster. It's horrible, you know, and to gain that kind of criticism from you know, Japan, Mahathir's uh, a previous prime minister's uh, favorite place in the world. <laughs> but it, it's, it's, I mean, I guess... It's only, you can only do so much, right? How much money, how much soft power can you pump into a country until they actually listen or they are a bit more receptive to your to your message? We've seen already that Mahade was, and this is very dependent on leadership, isn't it? Mahade was um, anti-China, um, while his predecessor, well, Najib Razak, was very much uh, staunch uh, supporter of uh, Chinese investments. So you see, there's there's this two there's two ways that they looked at it is that. Um, you know, um, let's say, imagine China like a, a ravenous wolf, you know. In Mahadev's approach, he would say that uh, it would be unwise to goad the beast even further. But then for Najib, right, he would say that, you know, we should off, we imagine the snarling animal a friend and extend our hand to it, right? Very, very different approaches. And it's, um, I guess this is also quite uh, applicable to many ASEAN countries where its foreign policy and its approaches to China is very much insulated within just the le- the premiership, the leaders that are in charge. Easily, it could change a complete one eighty. So, I guess for you know the, the the efforts of Japan, India, Australia, and America is having to keep on adapting to the current trends in, in ASEAN, but you know geographic dispositions makes it difficult to. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that they need to step up more than just soft power and prove themselves as like more um, responsible players in the region. They have really have the region's best interest at heart. You, c- you can see the competition between um, Sinovac and you know, other vaccines from the West. You know, we know India's pharmaceutical companies are also very sophisticated. That's another measure of soft power that they can you know, gain influence from. But I just want to go back to a very... Um, very important issue that's been you know, surrounding the ASEAN landscape, and that's Myanmar. Do you think that um, this is an issue that should just be resolved within ASEAN itself? Or do you feel that these countries could see this as an opportunity to become uh, responsible stakeholders in peacekeeping uh, and making sure that Myanmar is, uh, the people of Myanmar's welfare is considered? I don't think any country or ASEAN in that matter would, uh, could um in a way uh deal deal a better cut from this uh, whole situation because 
first of all, Myanmar doesn't even listen to uh, I think UN, I guess, uh, for for their recommendations. And uh, 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 as much as America would love to intervene in a lot of Middle East country for their undemocratic practices, I think this is time to sh- to walk the talk by uh, President Biden to actually like uh, condemning. Uh, outright uh, whatever that is being done to to especially communities like Rohingyas and the political prisoners uh, Aung San Suu Kyi or uh, even the uh, the the you know the the closure of uh, parliament to to practically stopping uh, democ- democratic process from happening so these are very blatant uh, uh, activities that are being done in Myanmar that don't really get much attention from America because we all know America only pay attention if you have oils. So uh, you, you using having said that, um, this is also like how it's just we treat everyone in this region if they if they have their own ideas as really bad or evil. Like th- we treat the same way China, uh, we treat the same way. Uh, Myanmar and China, because uh, because they have a different uh, different system and they have different approach. It's only because China doing better because they have they can they can they can sustain on their own. It's a it's a very large country and now ha- just just happen very rich, but because Myanmar is not as rich as China, of course if we look at it in that sense like a very poor very different kind of light we see them, but. The way we treat them is very the same. Like you know, just want demonize them because they don't align with our own maybe moral compass, with our uh, political ideology. So we need to, first of all, in, to approach in any conflict is to be to be more friendly to them, to to befriend them, as you know, as uh, we try to achieve one goal. Like you know, you are part of us. You are you are not a stranger in ASEAN. So, this kind of uh, approach need to be uh, put place before we can talk about you know negotiation, special envoy to to Myanmar to 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 uh, discuss on the matter. Because if we already coming uh, to Cambod uh, to to Myanmar with uh, with intention of you know uh, telling them what to do, it's a, it's already a lost cause. You you know we cannot dictate. Dictated a sovereign country to 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 follow our words, even if you're coming from ASEAN or uh, UN. So we need to to come from a good place first, then we can start our bridging. There's an argument to be made that ASEAN does have those mechanisms. You know, th- they call it the ASEAN way, which is uh, Mushawara and Wafakat, which is uh, careful discussion and consensus building. So this was the approach that was always employed by ASEAN when it comes to dealing with uh, authoritarian regimes such as uh, you know, the Khmer Rouge, where we, we can't exactly interfere directly, but we can only build confidence and you know, um, consensus building. We can help you uh, build confidence to show you that you know, it's, it's, it's better you follow it our way so we can mutually benefit. However, um, last year, this came under scrutiny and criticism saying that ASEAN is a toothless tiger. That it's all bark but no bite. And especially when... Um, when it's concerned that we can't really do anything when the conflict 
between the citizenry and, and the military junta in Myanmar is very real. Okay. Anyway, uh, regardless, it's 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 a very it's a very um, you know it's a very real issue here, and I think that when there's a huge displacement of uh, perspective when you see that oh um, these you know these uh, these foreign officials and foreign representatives going to summits together, meeting, discussing in comfy chairs in conference rooms. Now okay, maybe now it's online, but still, regardless, the aspect of comfy office spaces are still there. Contrasted to you know the suffering that the the Burmese people are going through do you, do you not think that it's you know that kind of contrast shows that you know, more drastic action is to be taken or rather the co- the structures in ASEAN just doesn't allow for it meaning that it's sort of redundant which is why I'm trying to say that maybe um, you know the quad the quadrilateral community in Australia America Japan and India may have a chance to play a part here in because these are you know these are more powerful economies here uh relatively speaking they have more influence uh they have a lot more soft power to you know to hamper down on uh, Myanmar and we know of course there's going to be in competition with China since China's already has Laos and Cambodia under under its orbit somehow but what I'm trying to say is that could they could they do something? Could they make up where ASEAN seems to have floundered here? Definitely, but of course, like I said, uh, the the helping uh, friend helping friend approach is a must here because uh, any any other foreign uh, powers that come into the table of discussion will you know make it even more uh, I don't know even more uh, risky to to achieve such a uh, uh, resolution. Uh, that's why I said. This country should uh, countries like India, uh, Australia, and Japan could play like a second, uh, you know, uh, maybe like an assist to to ASEAN country. ASEAN should be the front page, the front liner of this uh, conflict to to deal with Myanmar. And this, like you said, like uh, you know, it's a it's a real suffering down there for the Burmese people. So uh, and of course financial aid. Could help greatly in 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 Myanmar right now. So if this country through ASEAN, so Australia donating or India donating through ASEAN and combine all together, just accumulation of all these uh, aids from America and Japan through ASEAN, that would give some kind of leverage when it when the special envoy of ASEAN go to Myanmar to discuss certain things. Because as much as you want to be you know all talk. And uh, all all heads and no cattle. It's just like oh, we we're gonna post sanction on you. We gonna uh, uh, you know ban travel on certain uh, you know all these nonsensical things to Myanmar rather than helping them. Actually, okay, we understand one and then and then you maybe start helping them. Then maybe you can soften Myanmar on that side because as much as we hate. The detector at home in Myanmar, but we also need to think at the same time, thousands, millions of people in Myanmar that suffering right now. So as much as also we think that oh, there are NGOs on the ground, there are uh, international uh, aids to to 
to to do this. no you as a sovereign country collectively must help as well not just you know uh imposing imposing uh sanction whenever it's please you yeah i guess the more un- a more indirect approach with asean at the forefront you know with an empowered asean um, is what you're trying to get at here but i i fully agree you know at least in the way asean has you know needs to be able to conduct its affairs with some more leverage and weight but this i think the drawback for this kind of uh, strategy is that you have to, of course when you want to i don't know plug in aid to help the welfare of the burmese people it will be hard to when you're always going to be just negotiating with with the government officials and the military officials that are in charge right now but on that note i i guess you you can see um a lot more revitalized interest in tr- making sure that um, you know Australia Japan and India is trying at least somehow playing a playing its part uh, in the development of ASEAN to show that you know it's not just China we're here as well we're here to counterbalance uh, China because i'm pretty sure a lot of ASEAN countries the leaderships in ASEAN countries cannot be too reliant on one uh, one entity like um like let's say leadership in Tokyo You know, Shinzo Abe has made a lot of uh, conscious efforts to make sure that this 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 unity sort of crystallizes more fervently. But I mean, it still goes back to seeing China as like this boogeyman character that we have to slow down their advance. If not, it's a detriment to to everyone at large. Now, I feel like this is kind of um, can be seen as a very Western centric narrative here. That because America is at lo- is at potential of losing its uh, hegemonic status over the global world, do you, I mean, would you welcome China's uh, that let's say twenty thirty years down the line, America somehow stagnates and China suddenly emerges as something more powerful than than the, the Americans? How would you react to this here, Hafiz? I think it's inevitable that China becomes superpower one day, surpassing America. That's a fact. But also think. Uh, You know, your your question is like, how would you see this, right? So I think I'm I'm not fond like re on uh, not so keen on uh, CCP, but as much as uh, I don't like it ideologically, but practically I think it's a good thing also, like because China as a nation, as much as we hate their political ideas. Or whatever that derive from that, they are very, they are very sensible people when it comes dealing with uh, economy. So they invest in certain countries, and they 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 are one of the first countries that actually donated uh, vaccines in ASEAN. So as much as you know, that's humanitarian uh, 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 aid right there. So if you want to see China evil as uh, as a superpower that try to dominate everyone in this region i think we should look at a different side of china as well and take advantage from that not as you know to to demonize or to defeat them in a sense but to you know make it a more win-win situation rather than just like uh, oh no you're bad uh, we sided with america you're bad you sided with america stop that rhetoric and work and start judging china based on its action rather than what US telling us what China is doing. 
guess it's very hard to do that as well, considering that China has quite a lot of strikes against it, with uh, ethnic cleansing in uh, in in Xinjiang, the Xinjiang re- the Xinjiang province with the indigenous with the native Uyghurs. You know, Tibet also is another episode of um, humanitarian rights being uh, violated. I guess that's a lot of point of contention like with people have with uh, China as well is that they don't really play by the rules they play by their own rules and if they are to you know surpass America will we be playing by their rules because America is you know is seen as upholding the rules of uh, neoliberal democracies um, and it's it's going to be you know it will it shift how we perceive our own governance as well like if we We've always been following the Western model. If China ascends to supremacy, would we be more open to taking on the Chinese model? And with the problems associated with it? Well, that's a very existential question. I think that is why there is a worry of uh, China's ascendancy to hegemonic status. Whether or not it will be on the same level with America at its peak, that remains to be seen. But... So far, they have been on the rise. You could say that they are slowly; their growth is slowing. Doesn't mean that they're stagnating, but it's just that glo- their growth is not at the same levels as it was before. But nonetheless, it's still growing. And some can argue that after China, it could be India's chance, or vice versa: India first and China, or you know, China first and India. I guess this is just a overview of how you know, things never really last. Really think who knows how what ASEAN will be in the next fifty years, or the relationship between all the Southeast Asian countries in the next fifty years, when that decision comes to a point where will you be pro America or pro China? Of course, everyone would like to try stay neutral and reap the benefits of both, but when you know the the benefits are staring right in your face and you have a chance to seize it, what will happen to the uh, leaders, the Southeast Asian leaders in the future? I think for Southeast Asian uh, countries, I think it's uh, as you know, as, as much as we are accustomed to uh, Western democracy now, because America has been uh, super powerful so one or two hundred years. I think it's also beneficial because we shared a lot of cultural and historical uh, uh, with uh, with 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 China, so we may not in the same page in terms of our political ideology, but a lot of things that we have in common as well. Like we had, we you know we pr- practically s- come from the same mo- mold, you know. Uh, our our ancestors came from the great big land, right over there in China. So this, I think, this narrative is uh, is worth worth to be uh, put forward as a, a narrative that would bind all us together, and uh, as much as uh, the I said the. Uh, we should empower ASEAN, countries like Philippines and Indonesia within ASEAN itself need to play a different role rather, uh, 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 compared to countries like Malaysia or Singapore. Because these are the countries that potentially can be uh, even bigger power as much as uh, maybe America, if, 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 you know, being, if we're being very um, positive here. So, there's a lot of dynamic play here, and uh, we shouldn't just uh, um, point out that uh, oh, China also do some humanitarian 
humanitarian uh, uh, crime in Uyghur or whatever. I think all this happened within their borders, right? They never, they, they never, uh, they don't even have mil- uh, foreign military base in ASEAN. So, not that I know of. But they do have in Djibouti. Well, they, that's Sri uh, Lanka as well. Uh, it's another story. <laughs> in Africa, it's, we, we were talking about ASEAN right now. So, uh, but I can tell you a few American uh, military base here. A few of them in Philippines. Uh, well, practically Fili- the whole Philippines is just U.S. military base, right? So they, there you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, whoever narrative that you want to lean on, and whether China become the dominant power in the future, we should see how we can take advantage of it instead of you know mourning on clinging on America to be a superpower again. Yeah, I think we are left a lot more wi- with a lot more questions <laughs> than answers, to be honest. But I guess that's just the ambivalent, ambiguous nature that really is um, ASEAN and the uh, strange relationships that we have with one another. But I guess that is what makes up the you know what makes things go round in a way. Like, how is it that um, China, right, fifty years ago, you never predict its rise in such a meteoric fashion? Uh, who would have thought that you know Myanmar would go through such a such an atrocity with a military uh, dictatorship being installed? Or now we see that um, America, Japan, Australia, India making concerted efforts to block uh, China's growth. We can see that India has the potential in the Andaman Sea and the Nicobar Islands that can plug up the Malaccan Straits. Australia can move military hardware to the Christmas Islands to you know. To also keep an eye on the Sunda and Lombok Straits, Japan has you know its military base in Okinawa, so it also can monitor it from that end of the spectrum. It's a I would not say that it's a stranglehold, hold, like a strategy to stranglehold, rather just to okay, we want to keep China asleep. You know, the dragon is waking up. We want to keep shush it back to sleep in a way, and I guess trying to. But what would it say in the distribution of power? It's still trying to. It's almost is trying to make like a NATO pact in um, in Southeast Asia, and ASEAN really is not involved in these conversations. So it's. I feel this is the this is the prime reason I have with this kind of intervention is that you're not like you like yourself is. You, we need to empower the ASEAN states to manage themselves. If we decide that um, the Chinese market is beneficial to us, then we should have the reason to go for it, right? We have a just cause to go for it. So this whole security committee community surrounding ASEAN without ASEAN is what is troubling because you know, these countries that are involved in this uh, quadrilateral system are very much uh, forces to be reckoned with, uh, reckoned with as well. Very advanced countries, you know, miles ahead of many ASEAN countries as well. So I think we have to take a grain of salt just as how we take China, we have a grain of salt here. We have to be wary of both. If what our goal here is for a strong, uh, independent ASEAN, yeah, definitely to uh, espe- especially to establish ASEAN as a mediator instead of just you know uh, being being uh, told ar- uh, around what to do. So uh, we have China versus USA. So ASEAN could be in the middle as an empire to just you know 
okay, everything go through me. Maybe to play that role. Well, I, I don't really want to see ASEAN as a major power block, rather just a institution that's able to keep um, the region flourishing and play a role more in just like uh, prosperity rather than something that is focused on uh, military uh, shows of force or whatever. I just want, uh, for me, I hope to see ASEAN as just like, the not exactly like the European Union. It should be its own thing and it should be developed based on its you know, very unique characteristics and the countries that are comprised of it. Yeah. Oh. Well, I guess um, that's all the time we have for today. You know, quite a comprehensive topic here. We, I think we skirted around every single part, I guess. But um, of course, each of these uh, observations still warrants you know, a, deep, a deep dive into them uh, single-handedly. And I think they, anyone that's interested in the whole ASEAN really has to just like pick where, which region you feel like, specialize in it, go take for a deep dive. Because I think what me and Afiz discussed is just glancing over at the surface. Yeah. Barely scratching the surface. Oh yeah, so with that note, uh, if you like any uh, this kind of conversation, please follow Kopitam uh, Council on uh, Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other major platform podcasts. And also, Adi and I are very active in uh, Clubhouse. So please, if you just on Clubhouse, follow Kopitam Council and of course Adi and myself so that you can get notified when we do such rooms. All right. Thank you, everyone. We will see you on the next episode. My name is Safis. Goodbye for now. And my name is Adi, signing off. Thank you, everyone. And take care of yourself.